Welcome to another episode of Chilling with Teddy G, where we discuss anything and everything with no sugar and no processing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's totally uncooked here. We're serving it to you raw, as we always do. Go grab your favorite cup of coffee, your tea, or your latte, and let me into your home for the next few minutes. My name is Teddy G, and I'll be your host on Here with Chilling with Teddy G. Sit back and enjoy. You have not moved one iota in acquiring the most significant and the most important thing in our society. It is not civil rights. It is not integration that's going to give you equality and equal opportunity. It is what you own and control that makes a difference in your society. If you own and control nothing, you'll get nothing. There is no equal opportunity without having the equal amount of resources and power and wealth to be able to comp- carry it out. Now, you just heard from um, Dr. Clay Anderson, who was going to be the uh, primary topic of uh, today's show. I have been talking uh, on so many episodes of uh, uh, the, the hatred and the racism that's uh, in America and and what black folks go through uh, as as a people here in America which you've seen some of my episodes where I talk about the uh, two Americas which this is actually uh, a uh, an offspring or an offset about that we want to find out ways that we can eliminate <clears throat> racism but i also think that we need to be more focused on um economics uh black economics in particular and uh dr anderson he speaks on that in length so this is a kind of uh a a solution to a lot of the problems that that we're dealing with here in america um so you black people take notice of uh, a bunch of the commentary that's going to be coming to you from uh, Chilling with Teddy G, you'll find solutions into a lot of the problems um, that we're having when we speak of racism and when we speak of poverty and we speak of having and being a part of the have rather than always being a part of the uh, have-nots. Let's listen to one particular um, idea or comment from uh, Dr. Anderson on this subject. Well, very simply, uh, Rock, first of all, let them know that every group on this earth understands that you're in a team relationship. Racism is a team sport. It came into existence as a team. You play as a team or you lose by default. And only with black folk do people get upset when black folks start talking about coming together and uniting and working together and cooperating together, buying from each other and supporting each other. You know why? For a simple reason that everybody understands when you come together and unify, that signifies strength. And right now, everybody right now is pimping and hustling black folk. They've been pimping and hustling black folk for four or 500 years. We spend approximately 97% to 98% of all our money outside of our own community, as an example. And we don't practice group economics. We don't practice group politics. All that makes, when we spend 98% of all our money outside of our community, what that does, it makes the other groups enriched. They now are living off of two incomes. They live off of 100% of their money and 98% of our money. And what are we left with is 2%, where everybody else is living off of 198% of everything. We live off of 2%, which makes it impossible. And so you start talking about unifying black folk, that's a threat. They're saying, you're gonna cut off your money from us, you're going to do, we're going to cut off. We, we're living off of two incomes. You're going to reduce us down to one income. That's a threat to them. Also, it's a threat when you start talking about unifying blacks and looking out for your own people. That means political possibility of uniting as a political force in this country, which nobody wants to see. That's a threat because all the rest of the people in society are living privileged lifestyles based on what they came in here and got with, as immigrants. Black folk never had those, those, those lifestyles. So, yes, it's a threat to them. You have... Yes, definitely. It's a threat to them. And uh, uh, let him touch up on this point right here. You absolutely, your first statement was right on, on point. 
First of all, it was by design. Your constitution itself boxed black folk in. We've been boxed in by the United States Constitution because the, the original constitution spelled out specifically what how black folk would be treated in this country. You just mentioned something about we come here look, search, searching for life, liberty, and pursuit of, of, of happiness. That was not what it was talking about originally in the Constitution. They originally, when Jefferson and Madison wrote the Constitution, U.S. Constitution, they were talking about life, liberty, and pursuit of property. Because in the Constitution, black folk were defined as property. Three-fifths of a human being uh, equal to a uh, field animal, and you were treated as property. There's nothing in the Constitution that addressed the issues for black folk. We are locked in box into the Constitution. And until we go back and address that issue, black folk can never get out of it. And you can't get out of it secondarily, out of this box, because the United States Supreme Court put the lock on the box. The United States Supreme Court right now says, let's go back to the original intent of the Constitution, which says black folk should be three-fifths of a human being, property, and equal to a field animal. That's throughout the Constitution. It's never changed. And the United States Supreme Court then, in the Madison and Balfour decision of 1803, says that we're going to make sure that we abide by that. And then later on in 1857, in the Dred Scott decision, says black folk have no rights that white folks are bound to respect. The Constitution have you locked and boxed, and the United States Supreme Court can make sure you never get out of that box. That is the most... Now, you hear that? They're going to make sure that you never get out of that box. Organization in America. 57 of the first people appointed to the United States Supreme Court were slave owners. And subsequently, most of them have been racist. So you're not going to get out of the box unless you go back and address these issues structurally on behalf of black folk. Now, did you understand the significance behind what he said? This is the reason why we're, we're stuck <clears throat> in a bunch of the places where we are. Oh, yes, and there's, the, there's a few who have uh, moved uh, supposedly outside of the box um, through their wealth and, and um, through the small amount of power that they may have as, as um, uh, uh, individuals of uh, of whatever uh, means that it took for them to gain their wealth, you know, whether you're actors or entertainment, entertainers or sports figures. These are a bunch of individuals that we're going to also need to come together collectively in order to uh, help support some of these issues uh, that we face today. Now, Dr. Clade, uh, um, Anderson has a book out that I, I do suggest that you guys get and read if you haven't. It's called uh, A Black Labor and White Wealth. And the title kind of speaks for itself where black people are economically disenfranchised from being able to gain any type of substantial wealth unless you are the monkey putting on the show. Uh, uh, I hate to say, but it is the truth. And that goes from, from actors and entertainers to, 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 uh, uh, uh sports athletes. They want to get out there and watch you, uh, bounce that ball around on the court or throw it down the field, or they want to, uh, sit back in their seats and have their cocktails while you're up on stage, uh, doing your, uh, stand-up comedian act uh, and it comes in different ways or you're on that uh, screen uh, being um, uh, portrayed in, in uh, you know whatever movie it is but in a lot of the movies and the television programs out there you know if you want to even get a serious role you you have to uh, degrade yourself in some other film or some other movie uh, before you get any uh, substantial income from it or any notoriety. But uh, I digress. I'm going to get back to the point of, uh, of this wonderful book of uh, Black Labor, White Wealth, and some other uh, books that he have out there that you should be reading. And uh, he has other books out there, uh, More Dirty Little Secrets. Um, he powered the term... Um, was it is it blackonomics? And he has another book out there as well, uh, The Power of Blackness, Reclaiming the Gifts of God. And he has another book out there that's really worth interesting. It's called uh, Reparations, Now or Never. 
Yeah, poweronomics. That was the uh, phrase or the word that he coined um, for uh, a black America. And Dr. Clay Akins is a very uh, um, intelligent uh, uh, intellectual with uh, a vast knowledge of what um, we have went through as slaves and how whites and America has gained wealth through the sweat and the tears of uh, black slavery. He, he makes a comment on that. Let's listen in. Black folk are still under the impact of, of 360 years of slavery, another 100 years of uh, Jim Crow semi -slavery. I didn't hear the first part you said. They're still being burdened, they're overburdened by slavery because no one has addressed the negative impact of slavery on black folk. Never been addressed. Because what was the purpose of slavery? The purpose of slavery was to systematically, socially engineer black folk into the lowest level of a real life monopoly game that was based on wealth, power, and control, what you own and control. And slavery itself then maldistributed almost 100% of all this nation's wealth, power, resource, privileges, and controls of all levels of government into the hands of the dominant white society. And black folk don't have, they don't have enough resources to be, able to be a competitive group. When black folk came out of slavery, let's say before they even went into slavery, uh, they owned and controlled nothing. When they came out in the 1860s, a few blacks, about 250,000 black folk had successfully acquired one half of 1% of this nation's wealth. And that was in 1860, Rock. Here you are 150 years later, black folks still own and control one half of 1% of this nation's wealth. And it's wealth that controls what you get, what your opportunity is going to be. And uh, that, that one half of 1%, what does it equate to today? That means that, that means that the typical white person right now has 3,500 times more wealth than black folk. And they tell black folk to go out and compete. Compete with what? What are they going to compete with? They don't own and control anything. They only still own and control one half of 1% of anything that uh, value in our society, while they are being burdened down with six to seven times of their fair share of everything that's negative. That all the social pathology is being inflicted on them. They are the ones that are bearing the burdens of low-income housing, poverty, food stamps, welfare, dysfunctional families, no businesses, no opportunities, failing school systems. They are the ones that's being negatively impacted. Nobody has ever addressed the real issues. The civil rights movement didn't address the issues. They started talking about social integration. Social integration was not the problem with black folk and they, even the concept of civil rights. They twisted and corrupted that concept. Civil rights was initially talking about what you're going to do for black folk in the country when it came out in 1865 and 1866 and this first civil rights laws. <clears throat> and what those civil rights laws were trying to address was correct the Dred Scott decision of 1857. And what I, what I mean by that, that black folk had no rights and they could own and control nothing. And so when you had and here in Washington, D.C., you had some congressmen called radical Republicans, like uh, Congressman Benjamin, that is, and Charles something and the rest of them. They said this, that the only things that black people can ever be in America, they're either going to be free or they're going to be slaves. Minimally, to be free, they must have 40 acres, a mule, and $100. Now, immediately, uh, Andrew Johnson, who replaced uh, Lincoln when he got assassinated, he vetoed it. Yeah. And, and, and after he vetoed it, when the conservatives took over, uh, uh, the uh, the control of black folk. The Northerners walked away from it, left them, abandoned them. They black folk were forced into Jim Crow segregation and peonage, and they corrupted the whole concept of civil rights and made it a, a civil issue for everybody. Nobody's ever enslaved the gays, the midgets, the humpbacks, women, uh, uh, Asians, Arabs, Hispanic, and American Indians. They enslaved black folk. That's why it's critically important. To go back to one of your earlier questions, but people understand when you start talking about issues about rights. The Dred Scott decision said the black man has no rights. It didn't say the Asian man, the Arab man, the Mexican man, the Indian man. It says the black man. So how, what's happened now is that the whole concept of civil rights and social integration, all this has been mal-distributed and it's been corrupted into what we call fabricated classes. They're getting all the benefits that black folks should be getting today. All these, and it's intentionally and being designed to make sure everything is moved away from black folk and the lock in the box stays on black folks so they never get out of it. Yep. Now, he is so right about that, that if y'all can't see that when you, and you're living in 2020 and that you see that you are uh, economically starving for um, 
for for food and and for for shelter and for for uh, uh, transportation and for schooling and for uh, anything else that uh, we've been deprived of, then you you've got to you've got to have your head under a rock, not to be able to see the uh, the the. Uh, the the, the 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 bad and the uh, inhumane um situations that we we are in today and they mean on keeping us that way but i'm telling you if we start <clears throat> pulling together and uniting which is going to be a threat to these guys when we do this but this is our only hope this is our only way of uh, of getting out of this you 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 can't expect anything from them. You won't get anything from them. And their job is to keep you uh, where they got you at. If they got you under the poverty line and, and if they got you to the point where that you're going down to the government offices and trying to see some type of assistance to maintain some small sense of dignity um, to where you might be able to put some uh, um, food on the table or be able to pay a, uh, an electrical bill then uh, this is the state uh, that we're in until we realize this is going on what we can do in nomic through what we can do about it through power nomics and um become self-sufficient when it comes to um uh, uh our children's education our our uh, strive to move forward with uh, businesses and and, and uh, uh, be able to come collectively together to uh, start supporting each other. Our our issues, our needs, our wants. Uh, then we will remain a uh, underclass and under the uh, thumb or under the rule of these. Uh, uh, white dictators who are controlling everything of anything that we need that we need now he just told you back then and even right now today we still only have one in we only have a half a percent of one come on people this is nothing there's no way for us to compete and be able to uh, strive toward a better tomorrow Unless we realize where we are today and come together as, um, as a people who who want us to achieve any part of the American dream. You don't see Asians uh, uh, fighting Asians or not supporting um, um, Asians. You don't you don't see Arabs. Uh, uh, fighting amongst each other and, and, and not supporting each other. They're doing the exact opposite. That's the reason why you're sitting out here and you see all these Asians with all of these uh, uh, hair and nail uh, salons and, and uh, dry cleaners and, and restaurants because they're helping each other economically pull themselves up to where they're going to have a substantial wealth in America. You see the um, Arabs doing the same thing. You see the Jews doing the same thing. You see every class that's here in America doing the same thing. Everyone that I just mentioned probably got their own business. And then they're bringing other uh, family members and relatives here and, um, and giving them a piece of the pie that they own. Next thing you know, they got their own uh, stores. They got their own hair salons. They got their own gas stations. We need to come collectively and, and start doing the same thing. Unity and uniting is, is going to be a uh, a key issue to powernomics working for us, working in our favor. Oh, yeah, it's most definitely important in a social context and in a symbolic concept. Very important because, and unfortunately, that's what black folk have been fed for 150 years is symbolic uh, achievements, symbolic success. 
Well, you got you got a black president. You got you got Martin Luther King Boulevard. You got Rosa Parks Boulevard. But you didn't touch the structural issue. You did not go back and redistribute some of the resources back into the hands of black folks so they can be a competitive group and a self-sufficient independent group in America. I mean, there's that. What 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 are the benefits? Direct benefits do black get from having uh, in terms of rectifying the structural problems by having Obama in the White House, by having uh, uh, we got four or five black billionaires like Oprah, Tiger Woods. How does that translate over to black people? Mm -hmm. If Oprah and, and, and Tiger Woods lost all their money tomorrow, how does that disadvantage black folk? It doesn't hurt black folk one way or the other. Because there's no connection between between Oprah and Tiger Woods having being billionaires mm -hmm. and, and helping all these poor black folk when 38% of all the black people in America are in the poverty level. Having Obama in the White House, <clears throat> how does that translate to benefits for black folk? You write down a piece of paper, a one-sided paper, all the symbolic issues, and write down how black folk are going to get have been benefited. Write down right now what direct, specific, sole benefits have gone to black folk by putting Obama in the White House. Now you hear what he's saying. Now, now, now he done been in and out of the White House, and symbolically, nothing has happened or changed for the uh, black folks. Just as he talked about the uh, uh, Tiger Woods and, and Oprah Winfrey and uh, 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 many other. Um, Wealthy black folks are not um, going to benefit us either way. Why is not benefiting us either way? Because we're not united in the point to where we're going to actually be doing um, some constructive powernomics to where if everybody was connected to what was going on, then then we'd be structurally sound to where if something did affect, like say Oprah, then it would affect us. If we were chained in somehow to uh, what the the wealth of Tiger Woods and the money that he has was benefiting the uh, uh, economics and the uh, power uh, structure of uh, black people because he has... Um, he has opened up jobs and he has opened up businesses through uh, his money uh, that has started empowering uh, uh, other black individuals, then we would be touched by issues that would be surrounded by him. But because we don't have that unity and we don't have that type of closeness and there's no real um, power structure between what they have and what we have hmm, anything happened to them is not going to affect us we're going to still be in the same uh poverty stricken neighborhood that we was in yesterday we'll be in it again if we, if we was in that issue monday and something happened to him on tuesday wednesday we still be in the same situation we was in monday when he uh, uh first had issues so now nah, i'm saying that to say this so, <clears throat> so if they're not reconstructing their wealth to where it's helping us and, and, and trickling down to us and then we help others and then we help others, then, then we got a sound base of, of um, and the sound economic structure that tightens it and woven us up as a, a class of people just like the, the ones that i just mentioned where they are continually to help build structured financial chains and ties between their people that's the reason why you have uh, an arab gas station on every corner in a black neighborhood that's the reason why you have a uh, nail salon that for some reason uh, 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 black women flock to, which is which is a part of the reason why I'm saying that if, if we get ourselves financially and structurally sound and woven together like a net, there'd be no stopping us. And Lord knows what would happen if, if they ever decided to uh, pay us reparations for the uh, years of, of slavery and all of the uh, uh, downsides and, and the trickling effect that then happened from it. You know, 
we would be an unstoppable force if they were to pay out these reparations. But I don't see that happening. Now, I'm going to play for you this short clip from a, 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 a lecture that uh, Dr. Clay Anderson spoke on. Uh, uh, we'll discuss it uh, uh, afterwards. You're going to have all kind of black folk in this country going to be opposed to reparation for black for, for, for you. They're going to be jumping out. <laughs> They're gonna be jumping out. They're gonna be jumping out of the woodwork. They're gonna be jumping out of the woodwork because they're scared to death. They're just as scared now as they were in 1860. They're gonna say we don't have anything, and, and but when we ask for something, they they'll take away what we got, and we don't have anything, but they'll take nothing away from us. And so you're gonna have that group that's always scared, and they're always gonna say it's better for us to have nothing than you try to get something, because that way they'll take us back to nothing, which is where we are already. <laughs> John, John, Con John, now listen to that. Um, I hope you, you heard what he said or whatever and whatnot. And um, you understood uh, what he said. You, you can't get nothing from nothing. If you're not trying to get nothing and you don't have nothing, and then you end up with what you already started with, which is nothing. Okay, now, now, Dr. Uh, Clay Anderson is going to explain uh, what reparations would look like if we received them, and uh, why we received them, and do we, uh, and, and do we deserve to receive them? Now, that question right there to me is already answered. Yes, we deserve to receive them, and uh, he gives a specific viewpoint on. Of that particular topic. See, well, first, let's start with the basic premise: is that black folk are exceptional people. They're exceptional people, and they and they have some exceptionality in this country that everybody overlooks. Black folk have not been treated like all the other people coming to this country. Black folk have been disrespected and di disenfranchised in everything and excluded out of everything. Now, let's talk about it in the context of reparations. See, all the immigrants came in this country. They came here looking for some form of benefits. The entire American dream is structured on coming to America to get two things, free land and free labor. That's the, that's, the nascent, that's the basis of the American dream. And we have an unending influx of immigrants in this country going all the way back to 1790 with the first immigration naturalization law, which set up a ranking order. It set up a ranking order in, in, in skin color running from white, yellow, brown, black, from the highest to the lowest in terms of color, of skin color. And, they would, and that was the immigration law that was set up based on that. Every immigrant that came to this country was entitled to benefits, to get unearned benefits in terms of the American dream. Everybody talks about the American dream, but nobody ever defines it for you. It's, and, they, and every nation was, was, was alerted to the fact that America was now open for immigrants to come in. And every immigrant came to this country through the homesteading and through head rights. They could get free land to, in whatever quantities they want they could claim. When Thomas Jefferson came, Thomas Jefferson got, he had got over 100,000 free acres of land. Uh, um, uh, Thomas Jefferson and, uh, and, uh, and Washington, they all got over 100,000. Patrick Henry got over 65,000 acres of free land. They got free land. That, and when, when the big land rush came after, uh, after, after the end of the Civil War, they, and, and, and we had 26 million Europeans poured in this country. And they, and they opened up the Oklahoma Territory. White immigrants picked up over 2 million acres of free land in 24 hours. They didn't pay for it. Now that land that was passed, has been passed on. Let's use that. All that land, all the resources, the timber, the gold, the silver, the chrome, the balsite has multiplied in value and doubled in value to triple in value every 20 years and has been passed on through inheritance from one white generation to the next. Mm -hmm. So consequently, they have control over the land, the resources, and everything that has been passed on from generation to generation and shutting black folk out. That's why the average white person now has $3,500 uh, wealth compared to black folks, one and a half percent. Okay, let me ask you, because you talk about this land, uh -huh. this land that was originally inhabited. Uh -huh. Columbus didn't, 1492. Didn't find it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, um, address, if you would, the role that the U.S. government, see, this wasn't willy-nilly cowboys, you know, running wild. This was a U.S. government and its policies that ultimately bastardized, took away from, uh, stole from the Native Americans, mm -hmm. made treaties 
that ultimately were broken, if you want to say willy-nilly, that's where willy-nilly came in. So if you would address that for a moment. Well, yes. It's, before I let him address that, ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, Mr. Uh, Rock Newman. He has a, um, a, uh, a YouTube channel uh, as well as a, um, uh, a podcast channel, and he's directing that particular that specific question to uh, Dr. Clay Evans and we're going to let them continue the rest of this uh, episode. Started one of the first treaties was, was the New York Treaty about, about 1516 that came in. That was one of the first treaties. But in every one of those treaties that they set up with the Indians, they put an inclusion in there saying this, that if you were to cooperate with us, and be able to help us maintain the slavery system we set up in this country, you know, and we will reward you and compensate you. We'll give you, we'll give you clothing, we'll give you food, we'll give you weapons, you know, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll even call you civilized if you help us maintain slavery. Every treaty contained a clause to help Indians to shut down black folk. Slavery could never have existed in this country and been maintained without the full participation of the American tribes. That's why they started calling them civilized rock because they began to say, you quit hunting in the woods and running wild and, and get yourself some land and get yourself some slaves. So, so Indians became slave hunters, slave traders, and, uh, and, 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 and in the final analysis, it's all civilized tribes, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians, they all fought with the South to maintain slavery. And so therefore, and, and they got benefits from it. And that led to going back to the earlier question you asked me about, about reparations. And, and even after the Civil War ended, the Choctaw and Chickasaw were still holding about twelve or 15,000 slaves even after the Civil War ended. The United States government sent in troops saying, you got to get rid of this slavery and, and let set black folk free. And they set up what's called the 1866 Indian Treaties with these five civilized tribes, which says that black people in this country must not only turn them loose, they must get benefits. They must get forms of reparations. Going back to your earlier question, you must, you must first of all, set them free. Two, you must give them an, an option. And this is for all black freedmen, and all blacks who lived in the Indian territory and all black Indians. You must set them free, allow them to have membership in a tribe. You must give them, uh, make them, uh, let them have access to all the resources on a reservation. You must let them also be tax exempt. You must let them have free education. You must also let them be able to uh, uh, give them $150 uh, in cash. You must give them 160 acres of land. And in present day time, those black Indians under the 1866 treaties should be getting, they could also hold gambling casinos. Now, this country has, has never carried out the full mandates, but yet we are still honoring it for Indians. Right now, all the benefits that Indians are getting in this country are getting it from the 1866 Indian Treaty because they took up arms against the United States in, 18, in the Civil War. They killed off, wiped out all previous treaties. Now, every year you, in, in the White House, we get about 560-some white Indian chiefs, which in history they call $5 Indians because 90% of the people call themselves Indians nowadays are not, are not really Indians. Those are whites passing as Indians because they paid $5 to the Dawes Commission to get their name on the Dawes roll so they can get all these advantages. But every year they get invited to the White House. And every year they got approximately $3.5 billion every year, even that Obama's been in office. They got money into the Federal Indian Bureau. Now see, if you were to talk about reparations, black folks should have been getting all this money all these years too. But they got shut out because the Indians in 1938, they sent, to, they sent a letter to the, to the Department of Bureau of Indian Affairs saying, how do we shut black folk down to make sure they never get any reparations? And that, that, that letter floated around in, in, the, in the federal government from about 1938 to about 1941. Then it went to the secretary for the Department of Interior. And the Department of Interior looked and says, aha, said, how do I come up with a scheme to shut down blacks so they get no reparations in this country? He said, what you do, you Indians come up with a new concept called a quantum blood law, which says that black folk are not entitled to any of the benefits of the 1866 treaty yeah. in terms of reparations yeah. unless they can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they got one quarter Indian blood in them. And we make Indian blood sacred like, like Jesus Christ's blood. And therefore, they've been shutting blacks out all these years. That's why they didn't get into reparations. Go back to your earlier point. And the last point on reparations, you asked me earlier about a blueprint. This country's always given reparations to all groups except black folk, even though black folk were the ones who built the country. They built the bridges. They picked the cotton. They built the highways. They built the government buildings. They were the backbone of this nation. But now, so in, in, the, in the Marshall Plan, we gave billions of dollars to, uh, to, to, the, to, the, to Germans after World War II. We gave them under, under what's called a point uh, four program. We, we gave reparations to, to Japan, Japan, Japanese. We gave reparations to American Indians. We gave reparations to everybody but black folk. 
Yet black folk are locked into the bottom of a vertical order and a descending order of wealth, owning and poverty, I mean, and control of resources, and nobody wants to address the issue. Now, that brings me to the point of where I'm trying to tell you. See, they got us on the bottom of the totem pole, we should say, and this was as we're discussing the uh, Indians. We're at the bottom of the totem pole. And uh, just about everybody in this country and outside this country has received reparations until to this day right here. They are still trying to refuse to uh, give us reparations. <clears throat> and, and why? Well, first of all, we already know the, 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 the racism and the hatred that they have for um, uh, black people collectively, but they also um, fear what giving us reparations um, would do. This is part three of a, a series that I'm running in the uh, two Americas. And you can see from uh, from the two Americas that we that we've been living in that um, we have been um, taken advantage of and, and, and used as property from day one. And they're still um, controlling us and keeping us as uh, keeping us down, keeping us as slave with the many uh, the many members of us that are uh, incarcerated. <clears throat> We've been um, handed down as slaves, even to Indians, and now Indians from back then up to now they don't want anything to do with us or they don't want us to have any part of wealth and then you got the white folks going in there pretending as indians themselves and scooping up whatever uh reparations that uh are available then and uh today but ladies and gentlemen i still want you to stay focused on the uh the the uh <clears throat> The fixing of these issues, the solutions that he's given us to uh, to these problems. This is going to be the key element to uh, black folks coming together in unity, black folks uniting as one, black folks' economy being um, built and being structured and being sound and us being able to be a recognizable economical force in this country. And we are now, if we pull together in that issue, we just don't see it because we look at each other as uh, individuals uh, instead of looking at the powernomics behind <clears throat> our financial influence that we have and can start to take control of if we practice what Dr. Clyde Anderson is speaking. Your position on reparations, redistrib redistribution of wealth. Um, again, those looking in, the pundits, if you will, might say, well, are you, you know, a, a, a Bernie Sanders acolyte? Are you socialist? Uh, are you, pra are you, do you, or do you propose practicing socialism when you start talking about redistributing the wealth? My question for you is, what do you think it is that has, prevent, has prevented a groundswell behind something that seems as if is such a logical, practical, and fair idea? Not revolutionary, not radical. When you look at the facts and you look at the history, then it would seem that most fair-minded people mm -hmm. might consider this something that they could get behind, put their shoulder to the wheel on. Why do you think there just hasn't been the groundswell even amongst black folks? Most black people don't talk about reparations. Well, it's, yeah, because, because simply a lot of them don't want to be identified with anything as black. Because right now, see, in this nation, everything that, that everybody dreams of is identified with and associated with white skin. That means privilege, wealth, power, income, and privileges associated with white skin. Nobody, nobody's white mind will identify with anything black as negative. If black folk are carrying six to seven times their fair share of everything is bad, 
Why would anybody want to identify with blackness when they can identify with whiteness and get all these advantages? Now, in terms of what they should be doing for that, black folk, for instance, right now, these young black folk that need leadership in these communities, like this thing about Black Lives Matter, they're floundering around because they don't have any black leadership out there. Now, black leaders will say, well, what can we do to help these blacks, give them some leadership, and at the same time, give them some mild form of reparation that's not violent, not not committing themselves to violence, and then to kind of overthrow a revolutionary uh, activities. They just go in all these urban areas. You got you, 70% of all the black people in America live in and around 10 large metropolitan areas. Why don't you go in and re- reindustrialize those areas and build industries in there? But what this country should... What does that mean? That means that back in 1960s, when you started the integration process, mm-hmm. see, these, these urban areas didn't deteriorate because of black folk being there. They deteriorated because at that point in time, to avoid inter- integration, the power structure in this country used the, 19, the 1952 Highway Act to, to build expressways out of these urban areas and to, to build what we call suburbs. Suburbs didn't exist. Once they built those suburbs, they then made a commitment to relocate and, re- and, and re- all the resources out of those cities, to abandon those cities on what we call a burnt field process. Which means let's, let's destroy it uh, and, and, and let the cities deteriorate. They moved to the suburbs. They moved out the, the industries, the businesses, the wealth, the power, the banks, everything moved to the suburbs. And they abandoned those cities. Though that's why those cities deteriorated. You should do just the reverse thing now. Go around and take those big cities like Detroit, Gary, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, where you have heavy concentration of blacks, and you do it, and you do it, an industrialization program. What that means, you start awarding incentives. You set up, re, you set up redevelopment banks in those cities, where now the government puts special funds into their revolving loan funds, like at about a two percent interest rate, that's revolving and subordinatable to regular loans where blacks and old citizens can start building their own businesses and rebuilding their own communities rather than socially integrating, stay where you are and build your own communities. And then those communities started building <clears throat> industries and factories where you can create jobs, an income base, a tax base, wealth base, an employment base, and begin to build functional schools in those communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, set up these development banks and the government should put the money into it. Uh, secondly, you should go- let, let, me, let me stop you there. And Joe Sixpack uh, driving into work uh-huh. At one of the factories in Detroit, from 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 the suburbs, suburbs. where where he still lives, uh-huh. uh, Joe Sixpack, the white guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to say, "Well, wait a minute, my tax dollars, in order to do what you're talking about and redistribute some of this wealth, mm-hmm. my tax dollars, my hard earned tax dollars, mm-hmm. are going to have to be touched, and I'm not looking to make that happen." Well, that's good. It should be touched. You know why? He came here. His ancestors came here to get free handouts. That's why they came here. No immigrant crossed, spent three months crossing perilous oceans to get to the United States looking for happiness. They came here to get handouts, to get free benefits. Mm-hmm. See, see, understand this, Rock, and, and, and I want your audience to understand it too. 99% of all the black people in America are the direct descendants of slaves, which means they were here before 99% of all the other people arrived. All these people are coming to this country boasting about my family came from, from Germany. My parents came from Ireland. My parents came from, from, from Greece or Italy. They came here for a specific reason, to get benefits. They get unearned benefits to profit and enjoy the fruits of black folks' labor and the Indian land. They, they've already gotten theirs. And now, now what they're saying is that now that we've gotten everything, we've got control of it, we got it free and passed it from generation to next generation, we're not going to let you have anything. And see, that's grossly unfair and it's immoral. And the worst thing that our society can, is doing, and they should cease in doing it, is they start equating black folk to all these fabricated groups like minorities and poor folk and people of color and Asians and Hispanics coming into the country. These people coming across this, coming to this country today get unearned benefits to enjoy the fruits of black folks' labor. Nobody shut them down. The Chinese started pouring into the California after the Civil War to get benefits. And the Mexicans, there were no, in, in the Civil War, you had about 6,000 Hispanics in the United States. And now you got about almost 50 some million. They came here looking for benefits. And I heard Jesse, I heard Jesse Jackson say one day that, you know, all other groups came here seeking a thrill. Th- that's why they came. And they, black folks came here, obviously. Against that's right. Their, against their will. See, as a black folk are the only non-immigrants. Our, our country is structured on immigrant rights to give them benefits. Mm-hmm. Black folk are the only non-immigrants in this country. I know people always say, well, it, Indians are immigrants. Indians were the original people. No, they were not. The original people in this country were black folk. Folsom people that came in this country about 16,000 years ago. The so-called American Indians or Asians that came across the Bourbon Straits about 6,000 years ago. So what I'm saying is that everybody comes to this country to get benefits except black folk. Nobody wants to stick up for and fight for black folks. You cannot solve the racial problem in this country unless you create a circumstance where black folk can acquire 
the wealth, power, decent communities, functional schools, and, and, and be able to take care of their own people, be self-supported and competitive and independent. Malcolm X was quoted as saying, and I don't know if my quote will be exact, but something to the effect of to allow your oppressor to educate your children is to be a fool. Talk to me about in all of your study and, and, and scholarship and research, the role that education has played in depriving, enhancing and or depriving the pursuit of happiness of black individuals. Oh, that's, that's a good one, that's a good one. See, and uh, the education system as we presently know it, Rock, came into existence. It didn't, it didn't even exist until after slavery. The present system came into existence and one of the primary reasons it came into existence was to educate the offsprings of slaves, <clears throat> to be able to give them an educational opportunity. And they structured it so that basically that it would be, even though it would be a manual education, you know, manual art training, but it, but it did come into existence. And to a large degree, black folk contributed to the development of those schools. They worked hard to build those schools, selling flowers, pies, cooks and cakes, and building with their own hand. And that was like in 1866. In 1866, keep in mind that up until that point, we had laws in this country that forbade the educating of a black person. Yeah. You get caught teaching a black person to read and write would cost you $100.39 lashes with a whip mm -hmm. to be caught teaching a black person to read, to read and write. We, black folk were suffering from imposed ignorance. They were, they were, mm -hmm. they were being mandated to be mm -hmm. ignorant. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't physically or in, in, in fact ignorant, they had to act and pretend they were dumb. They had to dumb down. Right. But between 1866 and let's say 1896, that 30-year period, even though 96% of the black folk could not read and write in 1866, in a 30-year time period, those black folk almost by themselves educated, reduced their illiteracy rate in this country from 96% down to about 44%. They, that, nobody has ever done that in the history of this world. No group that had been enslaved for three or 400 years could in 30-year time period set a record for educational achievement. Now, and, and they did it. So but then, then by, let's see about, let's jump and see, show how that worked though. By 1950, a black person with an education was still not getting the benefits of having an education. Education usually has benefits that follows it based on the achievement levels of a, of a group of people. Mm -hmm. It never, achievement, benefits never, never followed black folk in education. So in 1950, the average black person with a college education could not earn as much as a white high school dropout because they were not getting the benefits of having an education. And what you have to do nowadays is go back in those, when I say you go back to these urban areas where all these black folk are, you got to rewrite the curriculum. You cannot have a curriculum that is designed for to educate white children and all these other groups who've not been oppressed, denied, and, 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 and rendered dysfunctional. You cannot use the same curriculum on them. You need to set, shut down all these schools in these urban areas. Shut them down, close them down, and say, now we're gonna rewrite the curriculum based on the needs of black children. Okay. You say, shut them down, close them down. Right. And any administrator, Kaya Henderson, who's superintendent of school, chancellor of schools here, and anybody else would say, that's so impractical. That would destroy our children. No, I mean, that wouldn't. Now, I don't know about Henderson. But I, know, I was over education for the state of Florida. I'm the only one, the only black person in America that was over the entire education system for seven to eight years for the whole state of Florida. I was over everything from the first grade of the nursery school all the way to the universities in both the public sector and the private sector. You gotta be realistic. Black kids need a special kind of education. We are the only people on this earth that for instance have never enjoyed the fruits of an industrial revolution. Everybody's done it. We have never had those kind of values, those kind of experiences. You gotta go in there and say, now what are the things that black children need? They need things that are different from the white child. They come to school with different emotional, physical, and financial baggage than the regular kids do. You gotta modify your curriculum based on the needs of black folk in this country. As an example, suppose right now I was to tell you that we all now, that the world's coming to the end, we gotta go to the moon. What you should do is say now, how does that impact your school and your curriculum? You got to say, we need to go into our schools and shut down our curriculum and begin to teach our kids how to survive on the moon. What kind of expertise and training would they need? We're gonna need pilots, we're gonna need astronauts, we need chemists, we need biologists, we need uh, people in physics, physical science. You need to rewrite the curriculum so they include all these things to help bring, elevate black folk up so they can be a competitive group along with all the other people. The other kids that are coming, coming to the school system, 
They come from families and from cultures that have already enculturated certain kind of values, skills, and, 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 and amenities into their lifestyle. We never had that. You got to bring those black kids up and make schools worthwhile. Right now, most of the schools like in Detroit, Michigan, they are dysfunctional. Half the black kids that graduate from high school can't read and write. Why do you keep passing these kids through school talking about, well, we're going to shut schools out. Shut them down and restructure them. Now, that's what I recommended. But here's what's <laughs> happening in Florida. When I when in Florida, doing the integration, here comes whites now and say, well, Dr. Anderson, what we're going to do with these schools, let's, uh, we're not going to integrate our schools. We, what we're going to do is create charter schools. We're going to shut your schools down, but we're going to create charter schools <clears throat> to replace the public schools. We're going to set up segregated academies. We're going to set up religious schools and shut your schools down because we're going to make sure our kids get what white kids need in the South. And so the same thing, black kids, these black teachers and principals say, we're going to close our schools for a month or whatever time it takes or during the course from June until September. Said, Let's rewrite the curriculums and start providing these kids with some education that are qualified to do what? To make sure that they never graduate from school without either a scheme in their head or a skill in their hands. Every black child should be taught economics and basic training and business development from the first grade to the eighth grade. And by the time he gets to the eighth grade, he should learn how to be, he should be stimulated to be able to learn how to create things and modify things, and produce things. When he gets to high school, he should at least be taught some basic skills, at least two years of skill training, he, like, like it used to be. Why aren't they graduating being plumbers, electricians, tools like tool and die makers uh, or uh, sheet metal, woodwork, carpentry? Right now, if you go call Sears out to your home, the, most of the people coming now doing all, the, doing all that basic work are not black folk. There are immigrants coming into your house doing the work. Mm. For plumbing and electric work and woodwork and brickland. Look at the construction companies. Blacks used to have that. You got to make sure these black kids do, do not in, in, uh, graduate from high school ill-equipped to compete. Quit sending so many black kids to college. You don't need all them black kids in college. Hey, black kids now graduate with a master's degree working in McDonald's and, and Wendy's stores because they, they master nothing. Quit getting black folks master's degrees with masters so they can't master anything. Let me ask you now. I agree with him on that uh issue right there we got, we got a bunch of us uh, uh graduating out of uh college with these degrees and we can't get a job or if we get a job it's not uh it's not in the area of uh where we went to college at <clears throat> this is uh uh, a major issue when it comes to uh, educating our children. Everything that he said is uh, uh, on point, and uh, and these are issues that we start we we need to start addressing. I'm going to uh, pick up this topic on uh, my next episode of Chilling with Teddy G. This is the uh, two Americas that. Uh, black folks live in. Uh, so I thank you for letting me into your homes to discuss this. We'll pick right up from where we are with the next episode of Chilling with Teddy G. I want to thank uh, each and every one of you for uh, your time and your support. Thank you again, and I want each and every one of you have a safe and a blessed day.